So this past weekend, I went down to Atlanta, Georgia for the Young America's Foundation Regional Conference. It was a bunch of college students and a few select high school students from that area of the country getting together. It was it was, it was was totally fun. I've told you this before and I will repeat it. This is one of my favorite parts of my job is seeing young people in real life who have a passion for liberty and who are educating themselves and doing what it takes in order to fight back against the radical left. And this conference was no different. The Young America's Foundation had a bunch of great speakers, but I have to say the absolute highlight for me, the part that, um, it's kind of a funny story actually. So we were doing a photo line after I gave my speech and I like to hear where each student is from and what brought them to, what brought them to the conference. And I'm shaking this girl's hand and I say my classic, you know, what's your name? What school do you go to? Nice to meet you. And she says to me, I'm a VIP on your locals on the Liz Wheeler Show community on locals. And I actually said, shut up so loudly because I was so surprised that the event organizers who keep an eye on the, you know, they keep an eye on the photo line to make sure that the security's tight and that everybody's behaving. They actually for a second thought that something was wrong. That's how excited I was. Um, A college student named Julie is part of our locals community. It was so delightful to meet uh, you in real life because we interact, of course, on locals. But it was so delightful to meet in real life. That was the first thing. The second thing is we filmed interviews in in a back room, backstage, essentially. We had a studio, a local or a traveling studio set up so that I could do interviews with the different speakers after they came off the stage. And I'm back there, you know, spraying down my, my flyaways on my hair, getting mic'd up, getting ready to interview. I think I was getting ready to interview Corey DeAngelis, by the way, about school choice. Really good interview. Can't wait for you guys to see that. But um, my producer walks in the room with this with this woman that I didn't know and says to me, oh, this is Jessica. She She's a public school teacher down here. And I'm like, oh, hi, Jessica. Nice to meet you. Kind of wondering why she was in there. And she says, yeah, I'm Jessica, but I'm not just Jessica. I'm real truth cactus. So that one, um, obviously we weren't in a public arena. I actually shrieked with delight because real truth cactus is... Um, the cactus from Verdict, Ted Cruz's podcast, there's a cactus on set. And this, this woman who listens to, listens to Verdict created an account for the cactus. It's, she's very funny on it. It's become a shtick on the show. We re- reference it almost every episode um, of Verdict. And I met her in real life and she is funny in real life as well and clever and insightful and really teaching her students the value of living in this, in this country. So that was the highlight of, of the conference for me is meeting meeting locals, VIPs in real life. I hope this happens more often because it was it was really, really fun. Obviously, if you guys want to join locals, you know you know the URL. I don't need to tell you every time. LizWheelerShow.com slash locals. Actually, over on locals right now, there's an interesting debate that's happening. So as you know, my husband and I, every year for one of our New Year's resolutions is we resolve to read 50 books. It's basically a book a week with just, you know, just a little, a little room for, a little room for error there. And even though we make the same resolution, we also compete a little bit. It's a little bit of a competition to see who's going to read the most. Now, this year, I am listening to Father Mike Schmidt's Bible in a Year podcast. So reading the Bible cover to cover. And I think that this counts as 73 different books. There are 73 different books in the Bible. It's The Bible is a compilation of different books. So I think this should count as 73 books on my list. My husband thinks... Um, opposite. He thinks that that's absurd. He thinks the Bible is one book, hence why it is bound together in one book. Um, So what do you think? What do you think? That's the debate that's happening on my locals because I posted a video about this asking people to help settle our our debate. And actually the most controversial part of this apparently was a part that I missed. Apparently the most controversial part isn't even whether the Bible is 73 books or one book. So not whether he's right or I'm right, but whether listening to a book on audio form counts 
as reading a book or whether it's separate. So you can go over to Locals and weigh in, but only weigh in if you think I'm right. Too many of you think my husband's right on this. Um, as I told the students at the conference this weekend, if you wanna bring me to your college campus, I would love to come and talk to you and your your conservative peers and your liberal peers will have a great time. I have one spot left for the spring semester. Um, go over to yaf.org slash Liz. That's yaf.org slash Liz. You don't even have to have a chapter of a YAF chapter on your campus. You can just put an application in through yaf.org slash Liz and bring me to your campus. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. Okay, so one of the most interesting interviews that I did at the Young America's Foundation conference this weekend was talking to Eric Erickson. You all know who Eric Erickson is, prominent author, speaker, and radio show host. And once I got past the point of asking him, he's also a cook, by the way. Did you guys know this? He He's like a chef extraordinaire. So I was very hungry when we talked to him. So I we did talk about that first. But he's also, forgive the little bit of a pun here, but he's also a tiger on China. He and I, our viewpoints align probably the most on China compared to any other issue because he really understands what is happening, basically China's strategy and how they're applying that strategy, their pursuit of world domination. Uh, to be the world, the one world superpower, how China is doing that and how they are compromising the United States in order to do that. So that, that interview is coming out very soon on the Liz Wheeler Show community on Locals. Go to lizwheelershow.com slash Locals. You don't want to miss that. He's very insightful on this. The other thing that was interesting, though, is almost every Olympics until this one, every Olympics, I am a fan, an Olympic fanatic. I would rearrange my entire day to make sure that when the primetime Olympics coverage came on, on television, that I was there, that I had time in my day to watch that. I, I love competition. I love sports. I love patriotism. So what's better, right, than the Olympics? It combines all of them. I realized last night when we were, I forget where we were walking through, but the Olympics was on. It was on in a restaurant in the background. And I realized I have not watched a single moment of this Olympics. I intended to, not, not, because, not because I'm against boycotting it. I, I think the boycott is good, but because I wanted to see what politics was coming into play. I wanted to see how NBC was handling the political controversy of the United States even participating in the Beijing Olympics. And I realized I have not watched a single moment of this Olympics, not one. I haven't even seen a highlight. I haven't even seen a gold medal ceremony, nothing. And it's sad because this was always such a big part of my life growing up. In fact, my husband and I, when we were first dating eight years ago, that was one of the things that we did early on in our relationship is we watched the we watched the Winter Olympics that were going on at the time. And it was like fun first dates to, to, um, to watch the Olympics and also hang out. And I haven't watched them at all. The only, th the only thing that I've seen of note is of course these... American born, these United States born athletes who are competing for China. And I guess I don't quite understand. I don't quite understand the controversy here, not in the way that you might think, but I don't understand the controversy online. And I want to talk about that in just a second. But first, I want to talk to you about Moinkbox. Do you hear that sound? If you could see and if you could taste this filet mignon that you hear from moinkbox.com, then you would order it right now. But for now, let me tell you, it is delicious. And I'm telling you, you've got to get moinkbox.com. Now I'm vegan, but my husband, any product that we get, any delivery that we get, any box that's delivered to our house, I've never seen him more excited than he gets when we get our Moink box. Uh, Moink, of course, delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and wild-caught Alaskan salmon direct to your door, helping family farms become financially independent outside of big agriculture. 
Now, their animals are raised outdoors. Their fish swim wild in the ocean, and moink meat is free of antibiotics, hormones, sugar, and all the other junk that you find prepackaged in the meat aisle. So sign up at moinkbox.com Liz in order to get a year of free filet mignon. Can you taste it? Can you smell it? And then pick what meats you want delivered with your first box. You can also change what you get each month and month and cancel anytime. Join the Moink movement today. Go to moinkbox.com slash Liz right now and get free filet mignon for a year. That's one year of the best filet mignon you'll ever taste for a limited time. It's spelled M-O-I-N-K box.com slash Liz, moinkbox.com slash Liz. So this gold medalist who was born in San Francisco, California, and who now competes, she's she was a U.S. citizen. She won't answer whether she still is a citizen or whether she has revoked her U.S. citizenship, but she's competing for China in the Olympics. She won a gold medal. She's some kind of skier. Her name's Eileen Gu. I'm sure you've heard about her. I don't understand the controversy here. The controversy being whether or not she's a traitor. Of course she's a traitor. Obviously she's a traitor. This is not a matter. In, in past Olympics, this is, how, uh, this is what I want to say. In past Olympics, there have been athletes who are elite athletes, they're in the top tier of whatever sport they play in, but just not quite en- not quite high enough in order to make the U.S. Olympic team. Swimming, for example, is a very, U.S. dominates in swimming. And so you can be a very, very, very good, very elite swimmer and still not make the U.S. Olympic team. And so there've been some times in past Olympics where U.S. athletes have competed for other countries because they knew they wouldn't be able to compete for the U.S. I don't condone that. I don't think it's a good thing, but generally when that has happened, the country that the athlete has picked to represent has been a nondescript, neutral, small, sort of obscure country that just wants to raise their public profile by having an athlete actually be able to be able to qualify for that sport. And like I said, I don't condone that. I think that it's disrespectful to the United States, um, but it's different than picking China. China is actively working to subvert the United States. China's actively working to infiltrate and buy off our politicians and our corporations. China's actively working to steal intellectual property and money. And that all of that does not even take into account the horrible human rights abuses that China inflicts on their own people. They're a communist country, people. They are communists. And they abuse their people. They stifle their people. They punish their people. They jail dissidents. They kill journalists when, you know, like the journalists that reported on COVID-19. They engage in slave labor in order to produce cheap products. They actually send Christians and Muslims to re-education camps. They have the Uyghur Muslims in internment camps where they engage in torture and rape, forced marriage and organ harvesting because these people are minorities. I mean, this is, this is beyond disgusting. This is not only a stain on China's history, this is a stain on the world that we've allowed this to happen. And yet this young girl, competes for China because she says she wants to be a role model to the girls there because there are so many more girls there. I don't buy that for a second. I don't care if you're 18 years old or 19 years old. I don't care if you don't like politics. I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican. If you renounce your loyalty to the United States and instead compete on behalf of China, you absolutely are a traitor. And that's why I don't understand what the controversy on Twitter is, whether or not this girl's a traitor or whether or not, you know, she grew up, you know, her mother's Chinese. She grew up in Beijing. No. I don't care. You were born in America. You're an American citizen. You can embrace your cultural heritage, your Chinese heritage. That's fine. But to embrace China by competing for them is embracing the Chinese Communist Party. It's embracing the government. That's what the Olympics is. You represent your country and the government of your country. It's disgusting. 
The Chinese Communist Party, by the way, knows exactly what they're doing. There's a reason that she got a spot on the Chinese team. There's a reason that they wanted her and not someone who was raised in China. They're doing, the Chinese Communist Party, who runs the government, is doing this on purpose to embarrass the United States. This is part of their assault on the United States. It's it's absolutely, it's absolutely shocking. And what's worse is there are liberals, commentators, who are trying to scold us for criticizing China's human rights abuse. And these liberals are actually doing something worse than just defending human rights abuse, which is awful enough. They are echoing or parroting the narrative coming from the Chinese communists. So the Chinese communists, if you say anything about Tiananmen Square, if you say anything about the Uyghur Muslims, they will immediately come back and say, oh, well, the United States doesn't have any room to talk with their voter ID, their racist voter ID laws, with their their police brutality and police-involved shooting problems with their the, with the moral stains on the United States. Why does the United States have any right to say anything about China? That's what the Chinese Communist Party narrative is. That's what these liberals, these pundits, even politicians are echoing. They are actually parroting the narrative that's been handed down from the Chinese Communist Party. So I think we all know that that's nonsense. We all know that, first of all, organ harvesting Taking someone's organs out of their live body and selling it on the black market, that's not the same as voter ID. Even if you don't like voter ID, even if you think voter ID is racist, which it's not, but even if you think that, it's still not the same as slave labor and internment camps and gang rapes and forced marriages and forced abortions and the torture that's happening at the hands of the Chinese Communist Party. Still not the same, even if you think it's awful. Yet... This is what liberal pundits have been saying. So all all that is to say, I talked to Eric Erickson about what we should do about China. And this is a question that I think there's both broad agreement and disagreement within the conservative party. So the broad agreement is there aren't too many people who think that what the Chinese Communist Party is doing to their people is is the right thing to do. Most people think it's wrong, think it's immoral. Now, a lot of people who think it's immoral might not care about it because it's so far distant from them, or they might think, oh, that's an internal affair, let's just try to brush that under the rug. But no one, if if you actually ask, do you think that gang rape is moral? Do you think that a government should throw a journalist in jail because they're reporting something that the government doesn't like? Do you think that it's moral for a government to throw a Muslim in an internment camp? Nobody thinks that's moral. Nobody thinks that's okay. So there's actually broad agreement across the aisle that China is doing bad things, that China is that China is manipulating their currency, that China is taking advantage of us in trade. Most people think that. Now, the divergence is within the conservative party or within the conservative movement, I should say, there's this new debate on what the prevailing foreign policy philosophy of our party should be. And what I mean by this is during the Bush years, we had interventionists in charge of our country, right? We had people who think that there's not a fight or a conflict around the world that the U.S. should not be involved in. They basically took the world's policeman role. And we've now, and that wasn't that wasn't smart, that wasn't wise, nobody wants that anymore. And that's, that's correct, that's proper that we should course correct for that. But it, there's an overcompensation that's happened. The overcompensation is isolationism. Now this would be maybe the Rand Paul philosophy. I like Rand Paul, by the way, I've talked to him about this. But the overcompensation is that is the, is the idea that we shouldn't be involved in anything unless it's a physical and immediate threat to our borders, that we should just let the rest of the world do what they wanna do and we should focus on just our country, just securing our, ourselves and not worry about anything around the world. That's obviously, it's not practical, it's not wise, 
Um, it just doesn't work. Maybe at the beginning of our country when George Washington talked about that, maybe it worked because how long did it take to even get across the ocean and to wage a war in the way that they waged wars just using manpower at the time? Maybe that there was an argument at that time. We're certainly not in that era now. We're not in that era at all. We have bombs, we have nuclear weapons, we have fighter fighter jets that get to their destination in a matter of hours, if not minutes. I mean, we're talking an immediacy that they didn't face back then. So isolationism is just impractical. But so what's the third option? What should the conservative movement, what should the conservative movement embrace as a foreign policy? Because we do have to have a cohesive foreign policy in order to address whether it's what's happening in Ukraine with Russia, whether it's what's happening with China. We do need a cohesive foreign policy to be able to apply to things around the world which do challenge us, especially when it comes to places like China, when they have in their direct object the, the, the goal of taking us out as the world superpower and instead taking over. And I actually talked to the, talked about this exact topic with Senator Ted Cruz, who has a cohesive foreign policy. He knows what the philosophy of his foreign policy is. I talked about it with him on what's called The Cloakroom. The Cloakroom is a new series that I'm hosting. I'm co-hosting with Senator Ted Cruz on his locals. On Ver- It's called Verdict Plus. You can go to verdictwithtedcruz.com slash plus. And The Cloakroom is a really nerdy, type of series. It's a really nerdy series where I pick his brain. I pick Senator Ted Cruz's brain about constitutionalism, about legalism, about policy. And we talked about what the proper foreign policy should be. So instead of repeating myself, take, take a look at this. I want to move along these topics kind of quickly, though, because this one, are you ready? I mean, when I warned you that we were going to nerd out on this series, this is exactly what I meant. So you gave a speech in the spring of 2019 about foreign policy. Now, this wasn't about a particular real-life event that was happening around the world. This was a presentation of foreign policy philosophy. And this is something that I think is a lost art in the Senate. It used to be that all senators had a constructed foreign policy. Now, most politicians, even in the highest offices in our land, don't have a constructed foreign policy. And I think that's why we're seeing, as it, when it comes to Russia and Ukraine, why we're seeing this, this, um, this differing of opinion, this, this spectrum among conservatives. Some people are very interventionist, some people are very isolationist, and there's, not, there's this disagreement on how to handle what's happening in the world right now because people don't have a pre-constructed philosophy on foreign policy. And you do. Yours is, and you say it's not actually a middle ground between isolationism and interventionism. You say it's actually like a triangle. It's a third point. So first of all, can we talk just for a minute about what your philosophy, all world real life events aside, what your philosophy on foreign policy is? Yeah, look, I'm I'm happy to. And, and, you know, the conventional wisdom looking at Republican foreign policy is is that it's, it's, it's binary, that they're one of two approaches. Uh, that you're either what's typically called an interventionist or a neocon, which is your approach is we got to go defend democracy, we got to go use our military, we got to invade countries, we got to get engaged in nation building. There have been a lot of Republicans who who have embraced that. That that had its its ascent under the presidency of George W. Bush, but there have been people from John McCain and Lindsey Graham to to Marco Rubio and Tom Cotton that that are explicitly interventionist. Um, on the other side are the isolationists, and, and the most notable proponents of that are Ron Paul and Rand Paul, both of whom, but there are others, particularly in the House, there are several other people who I think would fall into the, the more isolationist camp. Um, 
And it used to be that, that if you're a Republican, you had to be one of the two. Um, I think both of those are wrong. I, I disagree strongly with both of those. And, and, and as you noted, I've described my views as, as a third point on the triangle. Um, I describe myself as a non-interventionist hawk. Now, what does that mean? It means that the central touchstone for all U.S. military involvement and for foreign policy should be protecting the vital national security interests of the United States. What does that mean as a practical matter? It means we should be very, very reluctant to engage in military conflict. But we should also be focused on the purpose and the objective. So let's make it specific because that's very abstract. So let's make it, let's bring it to concrete matters. And let's take a couple of foreign policy disputes in the past, and then I'll actually do, do one that is going on right now in a discussion we had today that illustrates this this point. By the way, you can use promo code CLOAKROOM to get your first month free on your annual subscription if you become a subscriber on Verdict Plus, which of course I encourage you to do here. So uh, essentially, he's correct. Um, he calls his national or his foreign policy philosophy, he calls it uh, national interest. And that's similar to what Ronald Reagan's policy was. It's also, by the way, similar to what Donald Trump's policy was. Donald Trump just called it America first, but America first and national interest it's essentially the same thing, right? That is where we should be. So all that being said, we don't want to go to war with China. China actually, I don't believe, wants to go to war with us. They want to be the superpower, but they want to do it by supplanting us, not by not by militarily destroying us. So what do we do? What's the proper What's the proper way to address the human rights abuses that China is inflicting on their people? They're cheating and law breaking, and the corruption and bribery that they are engaging in when it comes to the American people. And what I mean by that, ironically, or not ironically, I guess, coincidentally, I finished Peter Schweitzer's latest book, Red Handed. Highly recommend, by the way. It's a pretty quick read for how in-depth and dense the research is. And I mean that as a compliment. Dense research should always be a compliment. I finished his book on the flight down to Atlanta um, to the Young America's Foundation Conference. So I had all of this China stuff on my mind when I sat down to talk to Eric Erickson. And it's really shocking what Schweitzer writes about. We all know that the Chinese buy off American politicians, that there's corruption. I mean, Hunter Biden, anybody? I mean, how do you have a $1.5 billion equity deal with an entity tied to the Chinese Communist Party while your father is vice president? And you, you finalize this deal after you've actually traveled to China on Air Force Two. Of course, this is corruption. This is, this is pay to play. This is quid pro quo. This is, this is the epitome This is the definition, the textbook definition of corruption. And it's not just a $1.5 billion equity deal um, from Hunter Biden. I mean, Schweitzer writes about evidence that that basically makes it clear that the Biden family has received $31 million from quote unquote businessmen in China. Now, businessmen, of course, are always tied to the Chinese Communist Party. Um, and, And these businessmen are not just businessmen. They are tied to the upper echelons of the Chinese Communist Party. So I mean, Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, completely compromised by the Chinese. Feinstein, the head of the intelligence, the Senate Intelligence Committee, I mean, compromised by the Chinese in in so far that she actually refuses to condemn Tiananmen Square. She refuses to condemn the government using tanks to run over thousands and thousands of Chinese citizens. This is bam, mind blowing. So this stuff, this stuff we know. We know, but it's good to have corroboration. You and I know this, but the, being able to lay out the evidence and the proof is great. But the corruption is like multi-layered. The corruption here is not just, well, 
you know, buy off the crackhead son of the vice president in order to gain access to the president of the United States and to soften his policies against China. That worked, but the corruption here is so much deeper. So we have these foreign or these former government officials like Kissinger or Condoleezza Rice. These are not hypothetical. These are actual examples who serve in government. They have very good connections in the U.S. government because of their foreign policy role in the respective administrations they serve. They also have very good connections in foreign governments. So they become consultants. Both Kissinger and Condoleezza Rice became consultants who advise American companies how to overcome the regulatory hurdles in China. The regulatory hurdles, of course, being Chinese Communist Party dictates on how businesses can operate in China. So what is, what is their value as consultants? Their value is their political connections, that they have political connections here in the United States, they have political connections in China, and they need those political connections in order to be paid by their clients who want to do business, American clients who want to do business in China. So in order to maintain these good, these good relationships, what is necessary? Well, a good relationship between China and the United States or a a relationship without conflict is necessary. And so these same consultants who have a vested financial interest in the US and Beijing not having any kind of contention between them, these same people are part of the public policy discussion in our country that helps frame the American people's viewpoints on what policies we should be implementing against China. For example, these people go on television, they write op-eds talking about how we should address each issue, how we should address the human rights abuse issue with China, the intellectual property thievery issue with China. And their advice is tainted by conflict of interest. This is corruption. This is dishonesty because they don't disclose at the front of their columns or at the front of their appearances on cable news. They don't disclose their financial conflict of interest. So they're part of shaping our foreign policy, but they are, they are, facing this idea that they can't be objective. They're biased to themselves. They're biased to the agenda, their own agenda, which is making sure that there's no conflict between Beijing, that the Chinese communists aren't pissed at us, basically, or aren't pissed at the American government. And this is, I mean, we're talking J James Mattis. We're talking Condoleezza Rice. We're talking Kissinger. We're talking, I mean, the same is true actually in Canada. We're talking Justin Trudeau. Not that this should surprise anyone, but Justin Trudeau has praised the Chinese communist Beijing regime. He said that uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping is a good leader and his family visited China just months after Tiananmen Square and, and basically just brushed it under the rug, said that it was in, an internal affair. This is, this is crazy stuff that we're talking about here, crazy stuff. And it's not, so we're, it's not just the NBA. It's not just Disney. It's not just our government. It's also institutions of higher education who are, compromised, compromised in two ways. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But first, I want to talk about Echelon Fitness. Well, I have been getting better um, working out the last couple of weeks, I'm happy to say. And one of the reasons is because Echelon Fitness brings the gym home to me, which helps a lot. It also helps to have world-class instructors like Nicole Griffin and Michael Brown, who choreograph classes with music that I like. And you get a community of hundreds of thousands of people who can give you that extra push. Echelon Fitness gives you all of this. Echelon Fitness is the affordable way to get the workout equipment, the workout community, and an instructor's motivation right in the comfort and privacy of your home. With Echelon Fitness, you can work out anytime, day or night, after the kids go to bed, before you go to work in the morning. You can crush 
your fitness goals. Their instructors really know how to get you moving. Echelon Fitness's full range of affordable workout equipment includes stationary bikes, smart rowers, sleek fitness screens, and the auto-folding treadmill are all connected to provide the Echelon Fitness experience. One membership, by the way, covers a family of five. Right now, for a limited time, listeners to my show can get $650 off MSRP. To get this exclusive offer, text Liz to 818181. Text Liz to 818181 to get up to $650 off MSRP. Liz to 818181. Disclaimer here, it's mandatory to tell you that message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. Okay, so universities, higher education, institutions of higher learning here in the United States are compromised in a couple of ways. First of all, um, they take money from the Chinese communists, which is an obvious conflict of interest. How can you teach your students that communism is bad, which is the reality of the thing, when you are also taking money from Chinese communists? So they're completely compromised financially. They also allow pro-Beijing or pro-Chinese communist party um, professors to teach in their institutions. They have, um, they have Chinese students who are here not just to learn about the American dream, not just to take advantage of the good education that American universities can, well, ostensibly provide for you. I don't know if they actually can or not. Um, but they're here to take advantage of research, science, technology, in order to steal that information and take it back to the Chinese communists. So take Yale, for example. Yale's an Ivy League school. You'd like to think that Yale is dedicated to higher education. Not so. Yale receives literally tens of millions of dollars from Chinese Communist Party tied individuals. And they're at their school, there's more than 800 Chinese students, about 800 Chinese scholars are in residence at Yale. This, this is a pretty big conflict of interest to take money from the Chinese communists, have a huge population of Chinese nationals who are both teaching and learning at your university where there is technology that could be, can be stolen, intellectual property that could be, can be, and is stolen. Because China has a philosophy, the Chinese government, the Chinese communists have a philosophy called military-civilian fusion. And what that means is that the Chinese military is obviously always trying to develop the latest technology in order to weaponize it, in order to create the strongest military force, the deadliest military force that they can. That's of course a threat to every country around the world, particularly the United States. And the Chinese military takes research from what should be or what is presented to be as civilian entities. So universities in particular, research organizations, scientific groups. The Chinese military takes information from these civilian groups and applies it to a military purpose. And the reason that this is kind of sneaky is because obviously US companies should not have any association with anything that has to do with the quote unquote People's Liberation Army or the Chinese Communist Party's military. And US government, the US government should actually forbid the forbid U.S. companies from having anything to do with military technology development on behalf of the Chinese communists. Obviously, that would make you a traitor. That would make you, that would, that would be so abhorrent. But what the Chinese have done in a very sneaky way is they have branded certain entities as just being civilian. This is just civilian research, civilian technology, civilian AI, civilian science, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it, um, to allow American companies to do business with these civilian entities, but yet, of course, behind the scenes, the military is taking the civilian, taking the civilian technology and applying it to the military, which creates a indirect, direct um, pipeline between American money and the Chinese military development. So, like I said, the Chinese communists call this military-civilian fusion, and that's what that's what we see. 
That's what we see at the university level. That's what we see at, that's what we see, that's part of the conflict of interest of these consultants that help American companies overcome regulatory burdens in China, or even worse, help Chinese companies overcome American regulatory burdens to do business here. And this is a really, this is a really big problem. It's actually why we should answer, we should ask the question, discuss the question of whether Chinese nationals should be allowed to go to American universities in the STEM field, especially at the graduate level, when they have access to either intellectual property or technological development that they're obviously going to take back to the Chinese Communist Party. Maybe that's a huge threat to the United States. Maybe we shouldn't allow that. I think that there's an argument to be made that we actually should not allow that because of China's declared, they declared their goal or they declared their strategy to be military civilian fusion. Again, I know this stuff is really nerdy, but when you analyze exactly how tight of a hold China has on so many aspects of our society, like I said, think about Disney, Think about the NBA, these big woke corporations that we actually, as consumers, have very little influence on because these corporations almost don't care about your business and my business. They almost don't care about our money because if you had to give them a binary choice, do you want the American market or do you want the Chinese market? These corporations would actually choose the Chinese market because the Chinese market financially is so much more lucrative than the American market. So we can threaten to boycott them. We can try to, um, we can try to pressure them publicly to you know, not do business with Chinese communists who torture people, abuse people, and kill dissidents, but they actually don't care because they would rather be in the good graces of the Chinese communists. These are, these are huge conflicts of interest. So we have the woke corporations, we have politicians, current politicians, we have former politicians, we have higher education, we have obviously Hollywood has allowed the Chinese Communist Party to censor, to censor uh, movies and content that is maybe against the Chinese communists or even, even content that's pro-Taiwan, pro-Hong Kong, the Chinese communists censor that. We have these Confucius Institutes that are dedicated, they're, they're at universities, but they're dedicated to teaching American students the tenets of Chinese communism about why China is good. And I'm not talking about the Chinese people, of course. I'm talking about Chinese communism is good. We have Chinese conglomerates, Chinese businessmen who are investing in the U.S. stock market, but their companies, their companies that they're allowed to put on the U.S. exchange are part of the military civilian fusion. So they are actually using the United States to make their companies richer. Their companies back in China are helping Chinese military technological advances. This is like shocking stuff. This is shocking stuff. So the question here, of course, I laid out this, what is happening? So this is the problem. This is what it is, what we're dealing with. So how do we solve this? What is the solution here? Because we don't wanna go to war with China. Even I don't wanna go to war with China. And I understand the problem here and how serious it is, and how threatened the United States should be by China. I don't want to go with, to war with China. China doesn't go, want to go to war with us. So how do we stop China from what they're doing? Well, this goes back to the foreign policy philosophy that I was talking about. It's not interventionism. We shouldn't bomb Beijing, obviously. It's not isolationism. We shouldn't turn a blind eye to what China is doing to us. What we should do is we should act in our national interest, or we should put America first. If you want to use any of the buzzwords for this philosophy, we should use the strongest weapon that we have, not military weapon, the strongest weapon that will actually hurt the Chinese communists the most, we should use our economy. We should use our economy to threaten China. Because when China's economy relies so much on American consumerism, and we withhold that consumerism, 
then China is going to have to change their mind. Now, some of this can be done just by just by individual consumers, but there's also a legislative role here. The legislative role here is forbidding universities in the United States who take money from Chinese communists or uh, individuals tied to Chinese communists, forbidding universities from accepting that money if they also want to accept taxpayer money. We should perhaps think about banning Chinese nationals, especially those who are tied to Chinese communist entities or Chinese military entities, from in from going to universities here in STEM fields or at the at the graduate level. We should forbid these woke corporations from doing business with Chinese communists who are tied to this military civilian fusion strategy that the Chinese have implemented. And from we should forbid US companies from doing business with Chinese human rights abusers. We should ban Chinese companies from participating in our stock exchange if they are tied to either human rights abuses or or to the military civilian fusion this isn't that difficult to trace back which Chinese which Chinese individuals or businessmen have connections to the Chinese communist apparatus. That's what, again, that's what Peter Schweitzer does in his book is he actually lays out, here are some of the biggest people, whether it's, you know, Wall Street, whether it's Wall Street, the biggest people on Wall Street, whether it's the biggest people in public health, like Bill Gates, whether it's the biggest people in politics, like Mitch McConnell and Feinstein and Biden and all the rest of them, Trudeau, he lays out exactly how they are connected to Chinese communism or Chinese communist military aspirations. And once we realize that, we should just ban it. We should prohibit that. We should make that illegal. And by doing so, the Chinese communists will be forced to adjust because otherwise we will be cutting off what they need in order to achieve their goal. They need our economy. They need the United States economy. And so we should use that, certainly, um, we should use that against them. If we don't, then we're just allowing China to infiltrate our country. They already have this, this grasp around our necks, essentially. And now we're just sitting here waiting for them to tighten their hold to cut off our windpipes. And I don't understand why we would do that. When we understand what the problem is, and we do understand what the problem is, we understand what we don't want to do. We don't want to go to war, and neither do they. But we do understand that a solution is necessary, that it's necessary for us to take action. Then we can devise what the smartest way to hold the Chinese communists accountable is. And honestly, President Trump did a really good job of this. I know four years is not enough to completely turn the tides, but he did a really good job of forcing, of using our economy as a weapon. And the Chinese communists, because he has such a bombastic strongman personality, um, the Chinese communists believed him. And so they actually did change some of their behavior. Now, Biden's reversing that. So um, you can make an argument that it's not going, in the, in the long run, it's not going to make a difference, but that's what we need to do. That's what we need to do to hold the Chinese communists accountable. Speaking of accountability, though, um, one of the questions that I have had since reading the Durham indictment or the Durham filing, I should say, um, one of the questions that I have had about the idea that Hillary Clinton has now been exposed. There's evidence that Hillary Clinton actually paid a law firm to infiltrate President Trump's personal apartment, his personal computer servers, and the White House computer servers to plant evidence to tie him to Russia, like, holy, holy bleep, oh my goodness. One of my questions, I mean, this is shocking enforcement. One of my questions is, okay, so this is something that we've known for a long time. We suspected this. Now we have the evidence of it. Durham has laid out the evidence, but is there going to be actual accountability? What is going to happen? Is Hillary Clinton just going to get away with this again? Or are we actually going to 
see justice served here. And I want to talk about that in just a second. But first, I want to talk about Paint Your Life. When I first heard of paintyourlife.com, I thought, well, what a great idea for a gift. You know, I can give this to for a birthday gift, for an anniversary gift, for a wedding gift. And I thought this sounds so much fun, but it must be expensive. Not so. It's actually extremely affordable, especially given how amazing the quality is. I genuinely love this kind of thing. I love hanging family pictures. I love having photographs around my home of favorite moments, but it's a whole other level when you can create that into a painting that lasts a lifetime. So if you want to give a truly meaningful gift, then you've got to try paintyourlife.com. You can send any picture, yourself, your children, your family, a special place, someone you loved who isn't around anymore, a pet. This makes the perfect gift. It's personal, it's meaningful. It can be cherished forever and it's fast. You receive your portrait in as little as two weeks. I'm actually getting a new one, which I can't wait to show you very soon. At paintyourlife.com, there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, then your money's refunded guarantee. Right now, I have a limited time offer for you. Get 20% off your painting and free shipping. To get this special offer, text the word Liz to 64,000. Liz to 64,000. Paintyourlife.com helps you celebrate the moments that matter the most. Disclaimer here, this is uh, message and data rates may apply. Terms apply, available at paintyourlife.com slash terms. Again, for your special deal, text Liz to 64,000. So the Hillary Clinton stuff, this is nuts. This is, I mean, in a sense, it's hard to imagine that this happens in a free nation, in a constitutional republic like ours. This is banana republic stuff. This is third world country type of corruption, but it is Hillary Clinton. So, I mean, well, I guess it's not that surprising. It is nice though, to have proof, to have Durham release this um, release this information that shows us that we were in fact correct. Hillary Clinton actually paid a law firm to infiltrate Trump's computer servers at his private apartment to plant evidence to tie him to Russia. Like, wow, my goodness here. Um, this is what the Washington Examiner writes. Left-wing lawyer Michael Sussman was indicted last year for allegedly concealing his clients, among them Clinton's 2016 presidential campaign from the FBI when he volunteered since debunked claims of a secret back channel between the Trump Organization and Russia's Alpha Bank. Durham revealed in a court filing that he has evidence that Sussman's other client, it's dubbed Technology Executive One, but is known to be former uh, New Star Senior Vice President Rodney Joffe, quote, exploited domain name system internet traffic at a particular healthcare provider, likely Spectrum Health, Trump Tower, Trump's Central Park West apartment, and the executive office of the President of the United States. I mean, this is, this is like a James Bond plot. This, and Hillary Clinton, of course, is the villain, uh, obviously, duh. This is so, this is so nutty that I, I mean, but my question is always, like everything Hillary Clinton does is nutty. Everything Hillary Clinton does is corrupt. Most things that she does are illegal and amoral and awful, but is there going to be any accountability for this? Because if there's not accountability, then it almost doesn't matter what Durham finds. Now, another part of this that's worth noting is, this is from the Washington Examiner as well. Joffe alerted Sussman about the Alpha Bank claims by July, 2016, Durham said last year, and quote, over the ensuing weeks, and as part of their lawyer-client relationship, Sussman and Joffe engaged in efforts with campaign lawyer one, who is identifiable as former Perkins Coy lawyer and Clinton campaign general counsel, Mark Elias. Oh, would you look at that. Of course, Mark Elias is involved here. You remember Mark Elias. Mark Elias is this, he dubs himself a super lawyer, and he's the one who, through legal hook and crook, uh, changed election laws and procedures and provisions and rules in our country leading up to the 2020 election. He was the one behind that push to get all of these 
voting, these vote, this voting agenda from the left made into law. So the uh, the universal mail-in ballots, right? This the degradation of signature verification, the early voting and late voting, and all all of this stuff that resulted in the electioneering of the 2020 presidential election. Mark Elias was behind that, so he was also the general counsel for the Clinton campaign. He is he is part of this of this plot, this conspiracy. It's not a conspiracy theory. This is an actual real conspiracy. Hillary Clinton trying to first take down Donald Trump, the candidate, and then take down Donald Trump, the president, by planting evidence. I mean, this was a plot that existed long before President Trump won the election. I mean, Hillary Clinton through our, Hillary Clinton and the Barack Obama administration, the FBI and the DOJ, tried to take down a candidate for president because they didn't like his politics. Then they tried to use the power of the government to take on a president, a duly elected president, because they didn't like his politics. And Hillary Clinton was part of that. She paid a law firm to essentially hack into President Trump's computers to plant evidence to try to tie him to the Russians because she was so desperate to win herself. She was so desperate to take Donald Trump down that she literally paid someone to break a law. So what accountability are we gonna see here? This is something, this is a question. There's no easy answer here because even Republicans, there are a lot of squishy Republicans who are tired of hearing about the 2020 presidential election, who are afraid of allegations from the left or of insults from the left if they talk about the 2020 presidential election. They're afraid of being called conspiracy theorists. They're afraid of being called dangerous. They're afraid of being called terrorists. They're afraid They're afraid of all the insults, all, all of the tactics the left has unleashed against people who question the integrity of the 2020 election. Um, people are afraid of being accused of being weirdos and nutsos and fringe extremists and violent. All of these tactics the left has unleashed are working on a lot of conservatives, especially Republicans who are elected officials. There are a lot of squishes who just want to push this to the side and say, let's move past this. This was not something that we want to talk about. No, no, absolutely not. If you are not, if you as a Republican in elected office are not willing to investigate what happened in 2020, are not willing to investigate what happened with Russia collusion, with Hillary Clinton, and how they targeted Donald Trump. If you are not willing to actively hold perpetrators of wrongdoing who are the real threats to our democracy accountable, then you have no business in Congress. Get out. Get out right now. Leave that spot for someone who has the fire in their belly to actually fight corruption, to hold those who have broken the law who have broken the trust of the American people, who have tried to break our republic accountable. My friends, this is what you should be saying to your elected official. Because you and I, the power that you and I have as citizens, of course we have the power to vote. If our elected officials do not engage in exposing corruption and holding those who commit corruption and illegality accountable, then we should hold them accountable with our vote, of course. But our other power, the other power that we have over our government or in as as part of our participation in self-governance is our voices, is making sure that these elected officials are answering the questions, answering how is Hillary Clinton going to be held accountable? Because I am tired, I am sick and tired of hearing about these officials from the Obama administration or the Hillary Clinton campaign provably committing wrongdoing and then just being fired or being denied their retirement, their pensions, or, you know, getting a slap on the wrist from Congress or an investigative committee or, you know, uh, uh, being convicted but not having to serve any jail time. No, no, I am tired of that. We must make sure that our elected officials hold these individuals accountable, accountable. And Hillary Clinton is at the top of this pyramid and she must be held 
accountable. Make sure your congressional representation knows this or else vote them out. All right, over on Locals, as I mentioned before, um, we have a lot of great stuff going on on there. Uh, there's a huge debate about whether the Bible's 73 books or one book. We have interviews with Corey DeAngelis and Eric Erickson that are going to be dropping really soon. Very interesting. I want to give you a promo code, though, so that you can, you know, feel more, more incentivized to join us over there. You should already feel incentivized. Your promo code to get one month free on an annual subscription is no CCP. Say no to the Chinese communists. Join us on Locals where we face no censorship and no Chinese communist influence. That is no CCP is your promo code. Go to lizwheelershow.com slash locals and join us there. Thank you for watching today. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Director of Marketing, Emily Washler. Production and Talent Coordinator, Matt Toffler. And Senior Publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.